I don't know if you have a favorite Bible character or not. One of my favorite Bible characters is, is Peter. I've got a lot of books on Peter, read a lot of them. I, I love the character of Peter. The reason I love char- the character of Peter, because when you look at the Gospels and you look at uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you look particularly at the Gospel of Mark, you see how rough and tumble Peter is. He's arrogant. He's boastful. He's always asking questions. He's at the front of the story, and he's always making mistakes. And then when you come to his letters, you see a man who's absolutely been transformed by being with Jesus. His life is radically transformed from a sense of hopelessness to hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of people call, scholars call Peter the the, the apostle of hope. And if, if there's ever a time when we as people needed hope, I think it would be now. We look around the things going on in our world. But Peter was not always the the man of of hope. Immediately after the resurrection, the death of Jesus, his life was uh, just absolutely destroyed. This hopelessness is is ringing so true in his life. Think about it from a spiritual perspective. Think about it from a from a religious perspective. He just spent three years, three and a half years, with a guy by the name of Jesus, the Messiah, who talked about the kingdom, who healed the sick, who raised the dead, who did so many wonderful things, and he taught about the future. He taught about the nation of Israel. He taught about this victory that they were going to have, the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, in the death of Jesus, spiritually speaking, his life is over with. Well, what happened to this Jesus guy? He's dead. He's in the grave. What's going to happen? There was a sense of spiritual hopelessness in his life. Think about it this way. I mean, you ever lost a good friend, family member? Man, your, your life has radically changed. You, you are at a sense of loss. Peter lost one of his great friends. Jesus had called them friends. He said, listen, I, I don't call you this anymore, but I call you friends because I've taught you and I've given you all the things that Jesus, that God wanted me to give you. And, and now I call you my friend. And he, he watched as his friend went to a cross and died Horrible death on a cross. Spiritually speaking, he's hopeless. He had a sense of loss, of hopelessness from a friend. Think about it from a personal perspective. He was a failure. An absolute failure. Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay with you. I, I will never deny you. I will stay with you even to the end. If, if everyone else walks away from you, I will not. And etched in his memory is this idea of Jesus looking at him as he denied Jesus three times. It's a sense of failure that racked his life and burned into his memory was this idea of Jesus simply looking at him as the rooster crowed. And what about this idea of despair? Who was he and where were they to go? There was a sense of where do we go in our lives from now? All the things that they had hoped for and trusted in Jesus were now absolutely over. What would they do? Where were we to go? He said we were supposed to be fishers of men. I don't get it. Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? How is my life supposed to change? And an utter place of discouragement and despair was upon them. Do you remember the movie, Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life? There's an interesting scene at the beginning of the movie, and it goes like this. Uh, Clarence is in heaven, and he's learning about his new assignment. He's going to come to earth, and he's going to deal with George Bailey. And, and while he's in, in heaven, Clarence asks the question of this. He says, what's the matter with, with George Bailey? Is he sick? And the superior angel says something very, very interesting. He says this, no, it's worse because he is 
discouraged. Isn't that interesting? This idea of despair, this idea of discouragement, this lack of hope radically changes our lives. And in the, in the case of George Bailey, what did he want to do? He wanted to throw himself off the bridge and kill himself. He was at a, a point of hopelessness and despair. And that's what discouragement does. And I believe that's kind of what these men were feeling, experiencing this particular point in time. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You know what the word deferred means? It has the idea of this. It means to seize or to carry off. Man, when your hope has been grabbed onto, when your hope has been seized, when your hope has been carried off, guess what? You have a sense of hopelessness in your life. With the death of Jesus and in the, the disciples and all of us followers, there was this utter sense of despair. What would they do? Where would they go? And then that Sunday morning, a woman by the name of Mary comes up to Peter and says, he's not in the tomb. He's risen. He's not in the tomb, just as he said. He told us over and over he was going to die. And three days later, he'd be raised from the dead and the tomb is empty. And all of a sudden, his life is radically changed. And Peter's life and the disciples' life and Peter's mother-in-law and Peter's life, all of these people who had this encounter with Jesus, their lives have radically been changed because of one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they would live not only differently in this world, but they would look forward to and anticipate the, the, the life to come from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so after 30 years, 30 years after the resurrection, this guy whose life has been transformed, this guy by the name of Peter, writes to people, aliens scattered all over the area because they are in pain and suffering. And he offers them hope in First Peter. And what I want to do is I simply want to look at three verses this morning, three incredibly powerful verses from First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Let me just read the text, if you will. Hear the word of the Lord, not my word, Hear the word of the Lord. Notice what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you that some 2,000 years later, we are still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the words of Peter, because they remind us of the hope that we have and who you are and what you've done. Father, thank you for the fact that we are forgiven of our sin and that we have this thing called new life. God, that, that every day we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Every day we can look forward to and anticipate the way that you will change us, the way that you will transform us, if we will simply look to you and follow you and trust you for who you are. Father, thank you for the beautiful day of being able to look out at the sunshine, flowers, and new life already available to us in the spring. Thank you for the new life that we feel in our hearts today as we gather together to worship you and to trust you for who you are. Father, may we honor and love you for your word. And I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
So we're gathered here on this Easter morning to celebrate this hope of Easter, the hope of the celebration. What I want to do is I just want to walk through this text with you. I just want to walk through these three incredibly powerful verses and, and pull out some things that would be relevant for us on this Easter day, this Easter celebration. First of all, notice how Peter begins. He begins by, by thanking God, praising God. Look at verse 3 again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter right away gets almost to this, the central theme of the first 12 verses of this chapter. It's all about thanking God for who he is and what he has done for us. And there's no doubt common in Jewish thought with this idea of religious thought of, of giving praise to God, of thanking God for who he is as our creator. David, in, in Psalm 68, verse 19, notice what David, David, the, the, great, the man after God's own heart, notice how he, he offered praise to God, what was common among Jewish people. He says this, praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. What a great testimony. David saying, God, you are my Savior, you're my deliverer, you're my rock, and you daily bear my burdens. What a beautiful understanding of the nature and the character of God and who he is and what he represents in our lives. And, and Peter understood Jesus as a Savior because because he had put his faith and trust in Jesus. Because of the resurrection, he was radically changed. He was radically altered. David and Peter are both men who look to God, who look to Jesus as their Savior, who would daily bear their burdens. Two people whose lives were radically transformed by who God is and what he had done for them. And what do they do? Thank you, God, that you're my Savior. Thank you, God, that you daily bear my burdens, no matter what I'm going through. No matter what I'm experiencing on a daily basis. God knows, sees, and will respond if we turn to him. Shouldn't that give us an opportunity to stop and to think and to say, thank you, Lord, for today? At a base level, do we stop momentarily in our lives, the chaos, and all the things that are going on, all the things that are going on in the news, all the things going on in our life, and say, Lord, I just want to say thank you today. I want to say thank you for my family. I want to thank you for my friends. I want to thank you for the beautiful sunshine. I want to thank you for the way that you change and transform my life. I'm not going to make a list of all the things that I don't have. But at a base level, I want to say thank you for my life and for the way that you change and transform my life. My friends, that is hope. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what he does, what Peter simply does, say, listen, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. And, and actually, this, this idea of thanking and praising God is an extension of this whole chapter, if you will. It's an extension of this whole book because Peter's life is radically changed from hopelessness to a sense of hope because of who Jesus is and what he's done. So what does he, what does he thank God for? At a base level, what does he thank God for? Number one, he thanks God for mercy. Look at verse three again. In his great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, if there was ever a man who received God's mercy in his life, it was Peter. That's why I love him. I love him. I love to read about his life in the Gospel of of Mark. At the transfiguration, Jesus shows up and he's in this radiant. He's he's, he's glowing in in brightness. And, And Moses and Elijah are there. And you have these three powerful people there. And Peter just starts talking. He starts babbling. He goes, you know what? It's good for us to be here. I'm going to start a construction project, and we'll just build some tabernacles. 
The text says he didn't even know what he was talking about. He was just babbling on and on and on. And God had to come and shut him up. That's what happened to happen. He walked on water. Storm. Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come out. Could you imagine what the first step was? I always imagine this. He's walking on water. Two men and all of creation walked on water. One of them is Peter. And then what happened? He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sing, Lord, save me. And he reaches down and pulls him up. Experienced that. He boldly professed Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And within a minute, Jesus is calling him Satan because of his understanding of who the Messiah would be rather than God's understanding of who the Messiah would be. He's called Satan. Remember when they came to arrest him? One of my favorite, one of my favorite stories. They come to arrest him and he's got the sword. Man, and he chops off Malchus's ear. Listen, my friends, that is a great shot. He's aiming for his head, but that's a great shot. I mean, don't you think? Come on. He just whacks off his ear and Jesus heals him. Think about it. At the end of his life, or at the end of his life with Jesus, he denies Jesus three times. When you look about Peter and you look about his life in the Gospels, you see a man whose life is an absolute mess. But that's the beauty of the Gospel. His life was utterly transformed because of who Jesus is and what God wanted to do in his life. If he would just look to Jesus, if he would simply submit to him, if he would follow him, God would change and radically alter his life. So I don't know where you're at today, but God wants to transform your life. He wants to change your life into a a beautiful work of art, if you will, by giving you and I this beautiful thing called mercy. What is mercy? On a human level, I would say mercy is this. It's when I'm a little bit snarky to my wife. Maybe I don't respond in a, in a kind way like I should. And she simply just smiles. Doesn't give me what I deserve. A knock on the head. There were years ago, my, my, one of, my aunt is famous for this in our family. It was at Thanksgiving. And the turkey got a little bit dry, so all the guys were making a little bit fun of her and saying some bad things about, you know what she did? She took the pies and stuffed them down the garbage disposal. That is not mercy. That is judgment, my friends. Notice what the text says. It says he's a God of, of, of great mercy. This is something true of God. It's an attribute of God. It's a, it's a, it's a characteristic of, of, of God. It's a part of his being. It's a part of who he is. Since the beginning, since Adam and Eve, we have separated ourselves from a holy God because of sin and rebellion. We constantly rebel against him. We constantly don't do the things that he would have us to do. We are in rebellion against him. And yet God loves us and he cares for us and he wants us to change. David a murderer, an adulterer. When you go back and look at David's life, a man after God's own heart, when you go back and look at the destruction in his life and see the things that he did and how many people died, this man was was terrible at times. But he wrote a song, Psalm 103. Notice how he describes God and his mercy. The Lord is compassionate and he's gracious and he's slow to anger. 
abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Wow. He doesn't repay us as we deserve. I was thinking about David's life, and I went back to the end of his life, 2 Samuel chapter 24, and it's at the end of his life. And David wants to count all the fighting men. And, and he, Joab comes to him and he says, well, why do you want to do that? You're just going to do something wrong. You're going to bring judgment again. Why do you want to do that? He prevailed. So he goes out, and nine months later, he returns from counting the men. And it says this, that David says he's conscience-stricken because of what he's done. And, and Gad, the prophet, comes to him and says, okay, God's going to give you three, three choices for your judgment, three choices for your sin. And remember what David's response is, let me fall into the hands of God for his mercy is great. I don't want to fall into the hands of men. I want to fall into the hands of God because in his mercy he is great. David knew and understand, despite all that he had done, God was a God of mercy. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? Aren't you glad that God is patient and long-suffering for all of us? It says this, God has given us great mercy. I cannot tell you how many times, and you too, have had a conversation with someone who believes that because of what they have done, God, there's no way that he could show us mercy. Bad things, bad things. I sent a text this morning to one of my family members. And I just simply said, listen, today is a day of hope. This is about the resurrection. This is a day of hope. 2020 was a really bad year for him. A lot of loss in his life. And I said, listen, the hope of the resurrection is that today can be a new day. Today can be an absolutely wonderful day of change because of God's grace, because of his mercy. He will not treat us as we deserve. He takes beauty. He takes ashes and he makes beauty out of ashes. He can redeem our life. And and that's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul knew and understand that as a Jew, his life was radically different because of because of Jesus. Notice what he writes. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, Paul writes these words. He says, but because of his great love for us, God's mercy is great and his love for us is great. It says this, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Paul, this righteous Jewish person who had it all, who was zealous, recognized there was something wrong in his life, and he needed God's grace. He needed God's mercy in his life. Paul knew ultimately that he deserved judgment. He deserves God's wrath for being a persecutor of the church because of what he'd done. Prior to his conversion, he knew what his life looked like. He actually writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1 where he describes what his life was like. I don't know what your life was like before Christ. Notice how Paul describes his. For even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Man, here's a guy who is doing all of these incredible things against the cause of Christ. And he finally recognizes that that God had given him mercy. He goes on in verse 16 and notes what he says. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe and receive eternal life. Did you hear how mercy works? Paul said, listen, 
I, I, I've received mercy. I, I was going down in this direction, and I deserved God's judgment. I deserved God's punishment. But what God did was God opened my mind and my heart because of his grace and radically changed me on the inside. And now I am an example of that grace and mercy. Every one of us this morning, if you are living for Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, you are an example of God's grace and God's mercy. You are a living testimony to the goodness and beautiful grace of God and the mercy of God. God offers us great mercy because of his son, Jesus Christ. How does he do that? He doesn't punish us for our sin. He doesn't punish us for my sin. My, my sin, my sin was upon Jesus in the cross. My sin, your sin, my, my sin was upon Jesus on the cross. So I, I don't have to suffer for my sin. I'm radically different because God has given me his grace and mercy. Second thing is this. It's transformational in the sense that you are now an example of mercy. God gives us mercy so that we can then give mercy to other people. We are to be people who are characterized by what? Grace and mercy. That's why he said this, Matthew chapter 7, Blessed are what? The merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Are you merciful to other people? If Christ has transformed your life on the inside, are you merciful to other people? Maybe giving them what they don't deserve? There's a parable in Matthew chapter 18. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. And the point of the parable is this. You'll you'll recognize it. The point of the parable is this. Shouldn't you have shown mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Now, if you understand, if you go back and look at Matthew chapter 18, you recognize that 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 parable was given when Peter asked the question, Lord, how many times should I forgive? Up to seven? No, Jesus says up to 70 times seven. He says, I'm going to give you a parable about an unmerciful servant. What we need to do is recognize the mercy that's been given to us. And what we need to do is we need to be people of mercy, extending mercy, grace, and forgiveness to other people. By the way, if you're in 1 Peter, flip over just to chapter 2. Notice what Peter writes in chapter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. Listen, Easter is a time of mercy. Easter is a time of grace. Easter is a time of forgiveness. It's a way that God has come and entered into this world, gone to the cross, offered himself as a sacrifice of sin, rose from the dead so that you and I might have this idea of new life and be transformed to be people of mercy. So Thursday night and uh, even tonight, we, we sang um, the, the song today, the, the Old Rugged Cross. I, I want to give you one of the... the uh, lyrics from one of the lines. It says this, In the old rugged cross, the cross, stained with blood and divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to pardon and sanctify me. I looked up um, the, the idea of a presidential pardon. You know, when, when a, the president leaves office and governors leave office, they, they offer a presidential pardon. I looked that up. Man, it's a lengthy process. I didn't do it. I wasn't looking it up for me, right? You know, I don't need a pardon. Do you know how we're pardoned from our sin? By asking Jesus. By trusting Jesus. And it says, I am forgiven of my sin as far as east is from the north by simply looking to and trusting him for who he is and what he's done for us. I am set free. I'm pardoned because of Jesus and his mercy. 
So this morning, we're, we're talking about Easter hope. We're talking about this idea of, of understanding and receiving God's mercy. But notice it's about something else. It's about living hope. Look at verse 3 again. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter writes in this passage that we've been given new birth into a living hope. I wonder what he's talking about. Are you familiar with a guy by the name of uh, John Denver? Some of you are. He's kind of like my generation guy. Some of you remember. He wrote a song called uh, Colorado Rocky Mountain High. And he gives an understanding of new birth, about being born again. And that's the way that some people understand it. Let me just give you the lyrics. Interesting lyrics and draws a, a great parallel to our, our faith. Uh, Colorado Rocky Mountain High begins this way. He was born in the summer of his 27th year, coming home to a place he'd never been before. He left yesterday behind him. You might say he was born again. You might say he found a key for every door. Isn't that interesting? John Denver writes about being transformed by this Colorado Rocky Mountain High. In other words, seeing God's creation and being radically transformed at the age of 27 into something different that opens a door for you to look at life in an entirely different way. Our text says this, what? You've been born again. You've been regenerated. You've been born again from above so that we might have this thing called a living hope. The power of the Holy Spirit of God comes upon us, convicts us of our sin, reveals to us the mercy and the grace given to us, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and transforms us and changes us as we respond to the gospel message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nicodemus asks, how can a man be born when he is old? Because you're born again by the Spirit of God on the inside, and you were transformed from darkness into light. That's the power of a transformed life. God takes us spiritually, opens our minds and our hearts and our eyes to the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and changes us. And that happened for Peter, and that happens for every person who will put their faith and their trust in Jesus. He will transform you. And you and I can live with that hope every day. Not just on Sunday, Easter Sunday, but every day. That's the hope. That's the living hope. The living God, the living Jesus has given this living hope for every aspect of our life. Doesn't matter what we're going through. Doesn't matter what you are going through right now. Jesus offers you living hope. Not only for this life, but the life to come, the future, the resurrection, the day when I will be with Jesus. There's a cemetery in Indiana and it has a really interesting tombstone. I think I may have told you this before. And it has a, a, a on, on, on tombstone, it has an inscription on it. I want to read it to you. It says this, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be, so prepare for death and follow me. That's pretty wise, you know. In other words, think about your life. Think about what's going to happen. You don't know the day or when you're going to leave this earth. Think about it. And then somebody else wrote at the, at the bottom these words. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> now, those are wise words, right? 
Didn't Jesus tell the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of me? Doesn't he call us to follow him, to follow, to take up our cross daily and deny ourselves and follow him? Those are wise words because of who Jesus is and what he talked about in our future and eternal life. Lazarus is dead. He's been in the grave. Jesus shows up and he says these words to Martha. John chapter 11, verse 25. He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that your eternal destination determines about what you believe about him? Do you believe that? Every one of us has to answer that question. Do you believe who Jesus is, that he's the resurrection and life? Are you living with him with this idea of this eternal hope? Because you're going to die one day. We're all going to die. D.L. Moody uh, started Moody Bible Institute, and he was talking about the subject of death. And I love the way that he puts this. Notice what he says. Soon you'll read in the newspaper that I am dead. Don't believe it for a moment. I will be more alive than ever before. Why? Because of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and being with Jesus forever and ever and ever. On his deathbed, this is what it says. He was on his deathbed, and it says, he said these words, Earth recedes, heaven opens up for me. Isn't that confidence? He's trusting in the living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he would do for him. You know, some of you may be scratching your head going, Can you really know? Do we really know? Are you sure? You live this little pain of doubt. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, these, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I know that I have eternal life, not based upon my feelings, but because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a hope that secures me. It is a living hope that keeps me moving forward day in and day out, no matter what's going on in my life. That's the living hope. That's the hope that transforms us on the inside. In this great mercy, Peter says, you have been given new birth through the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the validation of this new life it's the fact that Peter saw it. Lazarus, Jairus' uh, uh, daughter, and the, the widow's son. He watched Jesus raise these three people from the dead. He watched Jesus die on a cross. He watched Jesus as he was placed in a tomb. And three days later, they went to the tomb, and there was no longer Jesus in the room. That is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter's life was absolutely transformed from his sense of hopelessness to hope because of Jesus. It's a beautiful story at the end of the gospel of John. They're, the, the disciples, they're in just utter hopelessness. Um, they don't know what to do. Their lives have been radically changed because they don't know where Jesus is. Peter says, I'm going fishing. That's it. I'm going to go fishing. So they go fishing. They're up all night and they catch nothing. Nothing all night. And there's a man on the store. They don't recognize him, but there's a man on the store. Sure, the man on the shore says, hey, did you catch anything? No. Well, why don't you just throw your net on the right? Well, they threw their net on the right. And it says they pulled in so many fish that the nets were just bursting. They, they pulled in so many fish, they actually counted them, 153 of them. What happened was this. As soon as they began to haul in that fish, John is sitting in the boat and he goes, oh, 
It's the Lord. You know what Peter does? As soon as he hears the word, it's the Lord. He puts on his cloak and he jumps in the water and he heads to sorrow. Why is that? Why is that he does that? Because he needed to be with Jesus. So let me draw this to a conclusion. Peter starts out praising God for who he is and what he's done. He thanks him for the mercy and the grace that's been given to him. He talks about this thing called living hope that transforms us every day. Moment by moment, we can live this idea of, of having hope. We need hope. We need something beyond this life. We need to know that we're going to make it through today. There's a guy by the name of Shane Lopez, and he wrote a book called Making Hope Happen. I don't believe it's a believer, but he describes himself as, as an authority on this topic, this subject of hope, the psychology of hope. And this is what he said. He says, how we think about the future, how we hope, determines how well we will live our lives. What are you hoping in? What what do you hope in? Billy Graham, in 2005, was asked about, as he toured Katrina, Hurricane Katrina in 2005, as he walked around, as he saw all of the destruction, somebody asked him the question, Mr. Graham, what can we learn from Katrina? Billy Graham, 87 years old, said this, there's much more to life than material things. There's much more to life than material things. What Peter does is he gives this this idea of transforming power of hope, not only for this life, but the life to come. Look at verse 5. Our future is secured by the hope of the resurrection. Notice what he writes. We've been born again into an inheritance which can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Inheritance. One day my father will pass away. He's 87 years old. We've got five acres of land and a house in, uh, in the Seattle area. One day my brothers and I, we will inherit that. We'll be a part of it, and we'll have to figure out what to do with it. A lot of it's, it's just getting older. The house has been built since the 1970s, so... It's been there for a long time. I would imagine it's breaking down. We don't know what we'll have to do. That That's going to be part of our inheritance. You notice what we have here, inheritance? Do you see the quality of our inheritance as believers in Jesus Christ? It's imperishable, undefiled, undefading. It's incorruptible. It's impermanent. It's not going to go away. It's morally pure, free from sin. It's unfading. It will not wither, grow old, or lose its quality or beauty. That's the promise of our inheritance. See, if, if the, what this guy said about what we hope for is important because it transforms the way that we live, then as I look forward to and anticipate my time in heaven with Jesus, it's going to transform the way that I will live in the here and now. Knowing that one day I'm going to live in a beautiful place it's called a new heaven and a new earth. And that my body is going to be transformed and I'm going to be reunited with people who've gone before me. And there's going to be wonder and there's going to be beauty. It's not going to be any more pain and any more suffering. That's the hope of the resurrection. That I am this body, this guy who makes mistakes. I'm going to be like Jesus. Can you believe that? No. But I'm going to be like Jesus. Not because of what I said, because of what the Bible says. First Corinthians chapter 15 says this. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man in heaven. You and I are going to be radically transformed because of the hope of the resurrection. Because that tomb is empty. Jesus is gone. He's gone. 
Are you thankful to who God is and what he's done for your life, the mercy that he's bestowed upon you? Are you trusting in the living hope, the day-by-day living hope that Jesus gives, that no matter what you're going through, what you're experiencing at this particular time, he's a God who daily bears our burdens, that he loves us, he's our Savior? I'd remind you of a couple of things. Number one, if you haven't trusted Jesus, I put my faith, my trust in Jesus, the man who came back from the grave. The resurrection is about living hope, grace, mercy, by simply putting my faith and my trust in who Jesus is and what he's done. Second thing is live for him. Live in that hope, the hope that transforms because of who he is and the spirit of God living inside of us. Last thing I would challenge you to do is this. Get involved in a family of faith. We, wasn't it good to be together today? Can you say amen to be around God's people, God's family? We need to be together. Join and be a part of a family of faith so that you and I can be encouraged by who he was, who he is and what he's done for us. Father, I thank you that some many, many years ago, you opened my eyes to the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ and changed my life. And I thank you for the hope that we have. Father, I don't know every person who is sitting here, what's going on in their hearts and their minds. Maybe they're at a point of hopelessness. God, I pray that you would remind them of who you are, that you daily bear our burdens, that you came to this earth, you lived You offered yourself as a sacrifice for sin, and by simply putting our faith and trust in you, you radically change us. Your desire is to change us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for doing that. Father, thank you that we can gather together this morning and sing and celebrate. We can sing our hallelujahs for who you are and what you've done. Father, I pray your blessing upon each person, and I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.